Welcome to Park Bench, Theater Simple's mobile interview outpost, where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat. This is the fourth and final installment of our collaboration with the Network of Ensemble Theaters, focusing on Past Forward, the June 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. If you haven't heard parts one, two, or three, you can find them just down the podcast stream. Park Bench is a change of perspective that looks a little like a rolling hill and arrives into an urban environment and asks passers-by to share their thoughts. Founded in the mid-1990s by a small group of ensemble theaters, NET has grown into a vibrant national community of over 350 members, including Theater Simple. The 2017 National Gathering brought together NET members, artists, educators, activists, funders, policymakers, and others with an interest in collaborative creation across disciplines. They gathered for four days just after midsummer on the beautiful campus of the University of Washington. And Park Bench was there, talking with participants about the importance of art and ensemble theater practice and the gathering itself. We generated so much great sound that we have spread it over four half-hour podcasts. Many thanks to everyone who stopped to chat with Simpleton's Andrew Litsky, that's me, and Lisa Holland. Please forgive the noise as we are on a busy college campus during a boisterous gathering. And now we present part four of Past Forward, the 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. I started with Carpetbag Theater's Youth Theater Ensemble. I got to see performers, young and old. I got to see... Um, I got to take my first poetry workshop uh, with a guy named Seed Lynn, and it changed everything I thought was <laughs> true. So it was sort of false. like a pivot point for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was actually like the anchor point, like okay. where to start. So I started writing, uh, started performing. I got into the theater renaissance for youth uh-huh. ensemble, um, and that's when I got through. I got in with Carpet Bag. Uh, fast forward to 2012, mm-hmm. uh, Ashley Sparks invited me I'm, I had been doing poetry then for 10 years uh-huh. um, so Ashley Sparks invited me to write a poem about place and home and how I felt about being from the Appalachians mm-hmm. for um, Nets Microfest right for the Appalachians in Tennessee or in Knoxville and Harlan really wanted to be there so bad <sighs> and, and that changed my life honestly um, I got to perform but mm-hmm. I also got to see uh, Robert Gipes uh, the Higher Ground series in Harlan, Kentucky. So all the all these things that had come to really show me how theater had affected communities and made positive change in communities, and how art had made positive change in communities. And I've never been the same. And I'm here now because I work full time with Carpetbag <laughs> as the executive support manager. But youth is a youth is a big portion of of what I like to do um, artistically. And involve young people in the process and, and allow young people to understand they can do it. Because if nobody believed that when I was 13, then I wouldn't be here. So right. I feel a, an obligation almost to make sure that I, I push young people to do the same thing. But also find, um, I, I really believe that art changes. And I, my community more than, not more than anyone, but since it's mine and I was born and raised there, I feel like my community needs the change that we can bring. So I'm working on a play right I'm working on my first play right now. So this play is it's entitled Bricks. Okay. Um and it's a play about the black brick makers and brick masons 
that basically built um, pre-Civil War, mm-hmm. built uh, East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and through this research that I've been doing for this play, I actually found my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Holy cow. Whose name is Isaac Dockery. The reason why brick making and brick masonry was so important to African Americans in the South mm-hmm. uh, was because it was a way to buy freedom. Sure. So oh, this sure. was there was a way to if you had a skill mm-hmm. and and knowledge there that could it was too valuable for your your owner basically mm-hmm. to to take you away. Right. So you had a way to you had a way to barter almost for your freedom. You had a way out of the most oppressive thing that's ever happened to human beings in the history of our planet. What are your hopes for the future? Coming um, coming out of this, either for yourself or for a group of people or for the people coming behind you? That people realize how important art is and more people realize that they are, um, we're here to create, to be like a, the creator. Mm-hmm. And that's our, that's our purpose. Everyone can and everyone should. That nothing's impossible. You belong, whether you think you do or not, you you belong, and everybody's everyone's voice needs to be heard. So, um, there's a I think there's a line in one of our plays. Um, if your words are never heard, the world goes on without them. My name is Michelle Dahlenberg. I am about to leave my company, which was Conspire okay. Theater. Mm-hmm. We're in transition, and Conspire Theater worked with um, women who are currently or formerly incarcerated. And then I'm also an actor, and um, I'm involved with um, Trouble Puppet Theater in Austin. I moved to Chicago in 2002, and I was 24, and I had felt in college like I wanted to do something with the arts that also helped people or, like, was part of a community or something and I wasn't sure what that was but I felt like maybe I would find it in Chicago. <clears throat> that led me to meet someone named Bridget O'Shaughnessy who um, is a theater artist in, in Chicago and she was just starting a new company that is now called Erase in the Distance which works with people um, who have mental health issues and I ended up performing in one of the first pieces that Erase in the Distance did. So I got to tell a story about a family member who had a, a mental health issue. And so I performed in you know community centers and schools and all kinds of things. I was like, this is amazing. I said, Bridget, I want to do more of this. What do I do? And she's like, you need to meet Michael Road. You should go train with him. And Sojourn Theater was coming to do one of their week-long trainings that they still have. They're doing one this summer. And my mind was completely blown. I was like, image theater and Boal and what is this? And divide, you know, all kinds of cool stuff. I was just completely blown away. And they were, they were creating a piece and they tried some of the things on us. And so uh, I was really excited and I kept well, how do I do more of this? How do I do more of this? And, and then I was still interested in documentary theater. And so I kept trying to figure that out. And so that led me to go to grad school at UT Austin. The phrase, the, the words network of ensemble theaters. For me, I think the most important word is ensemble because I, when I, so the first net event I went to was the Microfest that was in New Orleans and it was totally amazing and, uh-huh. you know, it was like really life affirming to go and be around all these people that were saying not only is ensemble theater about you know working together but it's a way of thinking about life like we are an ensemble like and and I had I known that inherently and I, I started teaching at Texas State and I realized I think of my classroom as an ensemble one thing that's been really cool is that I've been able to figure out a way to infiltrate at Texas State where I teach and I um 
am now teaching community-based theater classes and teaching artist classes in a department that didn't have a context for that at all. And so I'm like slowly, it took me about five years, but I've been kind of like, we should have these classes. And now they're, they're going really well and students are signing up for them and they wait lists and people are really interested in that. And I've connected with the service learning department. And for my own practice, I... Um, I think for me it's just um, owning what I do know and um, there's something where I feel like oh I don't have an MFA in directing so I don't I don't get to do these things and it's like, like who cares what does it matter mm-hmm. and finding I think for me it's like finding the right ensemble to be a part of for me as a performer and a creator myself and not just being the one that is facilitating other people making work I feel mm-hmm. like I want to make more work and I, I want to find the ensembles that that I want to work with. I've been doing a lot of um, improvised plays in Austin and through the Hideout Theater, and that's been just a really wonderful community. And I, I think that would be something I'd like to do is try to connect those communities a little bit more because I think those people in that community don't think that they're part of this, but I think that they are. Like, you're an ensemble. Like, look at the way you work. You're exactly this. And look at all the impact that you could make. Like I, I think those people are where I was, where they don't know that there's some way that they can give back to the community, or they can, you know what I mean? That we it doesn't just have to be. Oh, we're just doing this for fun. Like there's a way that we can do it for fun, and we can do it in a way that hmm. changes the world too. And if everybody is seeing the world as like we're all an ensemble, and wow, cool. Like if we're all in this together, like then we can do anything, right? say I am an actor dramaturg a mix because I have my own narrative and I can really speak to that emotionally physically um, intellectually and so there's I can thread that together I can keep pushing the envelope and being like no I can keep redefining what I am and I think that's the beautiful thing about our journey in life is that each step of the way there's many pathways to it. It's not linear. And I, I really want to stay true to that and at the same time find a place where I can like, reroute and um, explore who I am. That was Travis Coe. This is Scarlett Rivera. I am an administrator, um, like an executive director, a producer, a performer, and um, overall... Um, uh, environment creator (laughs) what's fizzing around in your head right now it's a constant reminder that the work that we're doing is very important and that um there is the invitation to to bring more people into that process is also continued calling um that the ensembles are not just these people are trained in it it's part of our mission Mm -hmm. to have other people who would not necessarily identify as artists to feel the power of, of ensemble uh, so my name is Sally Olive, uh, she, her, hers. Um, and in my life I wear, I'm a, primarily a dramaturg, sometimes a director, an associate artistic director, a marketer, just not my favorite, but very important, <laughs> uh, grant writer, um, and uh, educator. I got, in, well, I did, uh, my training was at the American Repertory Theater, which is um, heavily based in Moscow art. Like, my degree is actually from the Moscow Art Theater, so it was heavily based in Russian ensemble training. Uh, And then I um, found an ensemble uh, that I thought really needed a dramaturg and said, I think you guys really need a dramaturg. (laughs) Uh, And they were like, we think you're right. Um, And I've been a happy ensemble person ever since. And what's your ensemble? Uh, My ensemble is the Bearded Ladies Cabaret. So what ideas are rubbing shoulders in your brain just having been at this session? Um... 
Well, the major theme of that conversation was art access and activism um, and the ways in which we as dramaturgs can be better advocates in the room for access in particular, um, and also the ways in which art can be activism and activism can be art, which didn't really enter this conversation directly, but is yes. like has been like buzzing and buzzing <laughs> right. and buzzing in my head. Um, in this conversation, I think this question about what ensemble is and sort of how malleable it can be and mm -hmm. the growth, the way in which ensembles grow together over time. What is the question you come back to for yourself all the time that it might be helpful to somebody else? How can I make more space for contemplative practice in my own work and my ensemble's work? And this is Deborah Eleazar of Fool's Fury Theater in San Francisco. Well, we talked about how, like, you get out of college and, at San Francisco State University and you just kind of go, the only thing that makes sense to me is to be in a company with other people making stuff up. And because that's what we learned, but we didn't have a name for it or anything. So I did that and I, 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 I had a dance theater company for seven years and then I was working with Ben in a voiceover job and then I... I ended up, after several years of just kind of working casually, finally joining the company and leaving my dance theater company. But there's this, this idea of, of a longing for a deliberate way to work together. And that in itself is a, it's like a, it's a lifestyle choice. And it's a way of looking at the world. It's a way of looking at, at relations with people, specifically ensemble actors, ensemble theater makers. We are... We have PhDs in communication. Who would you say your influences creatively have been? Well, I have to say Mary Overly. I mean, like, uh -huh. the viewpoints and um, has been huge. Uh, I will co-sign that. In terms of, like, <laughs> of a universal vocabulary that's always happening. Mm -hmm. and you're always doing them, so it's never done. And that gives you a lifelong like journey and then that combined with Suzuki mm -hmm. uh, actor method training um, always has you hitting your head up against a wall that kind of tension that like that kind of tension is is something that I yearn for in the theater they're both artistic and they're both ways of revealing um, what's needed to um, for my money like make great theater in the words, network of ensemble theaters. Ensemble. Yeah. I mean, I mean, networking, obviously that's what we're doing here all the time. Like, I, I need to meet people that I would not otherwise meet and like know me. them. Yeah, and bring them into my world and take them and exploit them in the best possible way. <laughs> and then ensemble is just like, that's the lifestyle choice I've spoken of. Young artists who are coming up, if you were going to give them... A, a moment of advice go do the scariest thing you think you can think of like go try as many things as you can like if you think that that's frightening to go to a month and do some sort of workshop somewhere go do it I was I was pretty safe even though I did some cool things like I went to the city workshop in 1998 I, I, I traveled alone and did some cool things I was definitely more courageous when I was in my 20s I think mm -hmm experience is what cuts your teeth like go do the risky things what's fizzing around in your brain I think I keep going back to my piece that I'm working on which is about identity and my dad and the Middle East and 
and how how important it is how important it seems to be now in theater and the world that we tell our story and I mean like everybody 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 needs to hear everybody else's story in a level of transparency that's what's going to keep us connected Godfrey Elsimus Jr. from Ithaca, New York with Civic Ensemble and Cornell University. What's buzzing in your head about this whole weekend? How have you been here? What have we done? What are you excited about? What are you challenged by? Um, I'm excited by the energy of ensembles. I'm excited about the connections and not feeling alone anymore. Um, I am uh, challenged... I am challenged that the room still is fairly white. I am encouraged by the intentionality of ensembles and trying to deal with that. Uh, And as a board member, I am so uh, humbled to be in the company of such amazing humans that are troubling the world to try to move us along. I want to hear I want to hear the voices of children like teenagers in a in a real fundamental way. Um, I want to hear continue to hear the voices of First Nations. I want to hear uh I want to hear the voices of brown men. I want to hear, and I want to hear the voices of our elders and our young people, and by young I mean under 30. Our youngers, our elders and our youngers. Yeah, our elders, thank you. Our elders and our youngers. I want to hear, I want to hear them, those voices together, and what, juice can flow from that union. I'm Dr. Heather Barfield and I'm from Austin, Texas. And what's your, what's your PhD in? It's in theater performance as public practice. What's fizzing around in your head now that we've just sort of closed this? What's, what's, what ideas are sh- bumping up against you? I feel less alone uh, down in the Austin, Texas, where we feel somewhat isolated, and I think that's why there's a number of Austinites that are here. I think the questions of affordability, Mm -hmm. equity, and making um, work that is relevant to our times uh, by including a lot of voices is going to be a challenge, and already is a challenge. Mm -hmm. If you were going to give yourself 20 years ago, 25 years ago, a helpful hint or something to hold tight to, what would you say to yourself? Take care of your heart. Don't let others dictate to you the kind of art that you're supposed to make. Rachel Rosenthal, who was my mentor, um, I worked with her several times and wrote about her in my dissertation, and she's actually who I brought in in our workshop that we talked about bringing in our theatrical ancestors. And I asked Rachel to see. Um, In her workshop, Rachel taught me to stop hiding my treasures 
from the world that I have just as much right to sing my song as a theater artist as anybody else. And she encouraged me to give it all away. I have so much to give to this world. And I just want opportunities to give them. It's complicated because of, of my race and where I'm at in, in my life. And um, there are many layers of both privilege and inequity that, I, that I'm huh. stewing in. Right. And um, I'm a mother. And um, the, hardest me, the hardest thing for me right now is balancing my three jobs on top of being a single parent oh, while still trying to be in the arts. I want to mm. do things beyond me as an artist. I want to see if I can do this as an artist while trying to raise a child who can see me as, as, as somebody to look up to. My name is Shoshana Bass, and I am here with Sandglass Theatre from Putney, Vermont. And gosh, at the end of these things, I'm always just filled with so much overwhelming love and gratitude, because it can be very isolating to do this work, especially in a very rural area, and it's, it's an absolute lifeline for me to come together. Well, this piece that I'm here with is a massive turning point. In fact, um, it's kind of about that turning point. I, it has a lot to do with... I had a pretty dramatic injury. I fell from a trapeze and landed flat on my back on a gym floor and had a severe injury that derailed my circus career and dance career. And as a result, I started working really closely with my father on his pieces, and he taught me his signature solo work. I mean, I didn't touch these puppets growing up, and they were built for his hands, which are bigger than my hands, and <laughs> the act of, of reaching into that and trying to animate a puppet that uh -huh. is built for another set of hands, my father's hands, mm -hmm. um, is really interesting. Right now we're sharing the puppets. He's still performing, and I'm performing, and in November he'll completely pass them over to me. My challenge Fine right bridges. now is reconciling living in a very rural area. We're very engaged with our community, but um, you know, I do all the work with my family, which is, has its own complications and its own delights, and is re really special. The work has relevance, and the work has deeper meaning and deeper effect in collaboration across the network. And I mean, I've met at least three people. I'm like, oh, we need to make something. We need to join what we're doing. And they've come to me with, oh, I want to work with this form. And uh, in the small scale of my life, it's important. And in the grand scale of the world, it's essential. It's so much to take in right away. This is my second annual meeting. But in the meantime, NPN has also been having its influence. And we've had regional gatherings. And... And, and now I'm beginning to feel more comfortable to speak, and there's a, you know, there's a lot of um, research and, and mindfulness and, and engagement that needs to happen to stay really at the forefront of these conversations. 
and this is where that stuff really happens and it always holds me accountable for how I practice in my day-to-day -day life. Jerry, Jerry, we've come to a close in a way. This thing ended 20 minutes ago. What do you find fizzing around in your head right now that you are inspired or curious or challenged by? I think it's remarkable what this community is. I just think it, it knocks me over. Um, you know, we this was a look backward and a look forward. And mm -hmm. the look backward just makes you very sort of... Uh, cutting through that mist and, and remembering what the hopes and dreams for this thing was when we started it. To the place where um, some of the stuff that we dared not dream or hadn't imagined because the dream hadn't entered the room yet mm. has made it immeasurably better. That said, we, the, the challenges that this place is facing, this, this, this organization is facing, are the deep ones. Challenges of um, bedrock ones. Yeah, race and equity. Challenges of artistry. There's sort of a division in the organization and the membership right now between, you know, artistry and social concern. And some mm -hmm. companies are bridging it, and some companies aren't. Some companies don't want to. We've got to figure out what that means, mm -hmm. and we have to work through it. Even right. as we have to, like, we're far more. I mean, I'm a straight white male, so takes a lot to wake me, right? And I've been working on it for a long time because I swim in this sea of privilege I'm not aware of. Um, given where we started and where we are now, uh, we are so far not done, but so much has happened in the way towards having the discussions of racial equity with people in the room. It just keeps moving and moving as well it should be. And how do we do that again with a sense of partnership? Everybody's struggling, everybody's working. We, we have a voice here, uh, whatever that voice is, that is not being heard yet. And we can work together as an ensemble, as a collective, as a company to make that voice clear. It's someone coming up who doesn't know that they're an ensemble person yet. What would you say for them to hold tight to as an artist? You're not alone. You're not alone. There are people out there that, that um, your, your comrades, your compatriots uh, are right there. You don't have to look at them as your competition. They're right there and you just have to uh, shake hands and share that. My name is Claudia Alec. I uh, come from a family that has a performance practice. They're not all professional performers, but it's a family of people who write and who sing and who express themselves. Uh, well, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, mm -hmm. uh, but I was raised in Missoula, Montana. So I really understand uh, in some deep and beautiful ways the United States. And uh, you know, in Montana, um, I came to really understand um, our white supremacist culture. Mm -hmm. I know that that's a, a that can be triggering for people to say that out loud, but that's that's our culture right now. It doesn't have to be, mm -hmm. but it's what we are right now. Um, and you couldn't pretend it was anything else when you lived in Montana. Um, so I'm really grateful for where I was raised and how I was raised mm -hmm. um, to be very conscious. <laughs> um, I woke up woke, and and my family never allowed any of us to go to sleep. Lantern holders for me have been teachers, and not many of them, but those very rare teachers who were able to look outside of the institutional practices of what they were doing and see uh, worse and promise in me. I'm grateful to um, 
a lot of my contemporaries and collaborators. Uh, so there are just so many black women who are my age, who I consider to be lantern holders. We have been holding the light for each other. Uh, and I should, I should expand that because um, I, I will admit that that circle is pretty gendered. It's a lot of amazing, powerful women, but it's not just black women. It's native women. It's, it's, it's a lot of women of color. It's a lot of women. I can name a number of artists who have helped me in my career um, in major ways. Mm-hmm. But, it's because it, but it's because they were individually very powerful human beings because mm-hmm. of institutional racism and power in the United States. Right. I can say this. You know, in terms of um, influences, again, I'm going to not say names, but I'm going to say uh, influencers are uh, the black arts movement. Um, uh, influencers are um, the spoken word scene in New York uh, specifically, and a lot of humans in the Eurekan Poets Cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, influences are uh, uh, the hip hop theater festival, um, and uh, a lot of the artists that I worked with there. Uh, influences are the neo futurists uh, and, and the artists that I work with there, and the audiences. Uh, and influences have been a, a decade of producing um, con- community collaborative work where sometimes it's a child asking you a question that makes you go, oh, this, this radically shifts the way we're going to do this. This is the advice that I give uh, the young people that I work with and emerging leaders that I work with. Always ask people to help you. People are resources. So if you see somebody and you want to learn from them, ask them if they will teach you. And my career was built on seeing somebody do something and literally just going to them and saying, hey, I don't have anything. I want to know how you do your thing. What can we do so that you can teach me? And the other thing I, I tell young people is uh, don't be afraid of math. Mm-hmm. Um, in our arts communities, uh, oftentimes we are socialized to uh, learn that uh, we should not... Uh, be concerned about business, uh, math, economics, um, and sometimes even civics. And uh, those are false constructs that are designed to disempower artists. I actually have been thinking really deeply about networks Mm -hmm. uh, and how the network of ensemble theaters is an example of human beings coming together and doing powerful things together mm-hmm. that help them and help communities all over. And uh, that is the thing that I'm most grateful for in my practice right now. Mm-hmm. All of the human beings I'm connected to. Right. They affirm my belief in the world. They help me see past you know, public lies about inhumanity. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded every day about how awesome humans are and the good things they do. Thanks so much for listening to Park Bench and the final installment of Past Forward. Many thanks to the network of ensemble theaters, and particularly Alicia Tonzik and Park Cofield, without whom this iteration of Park Bench would not have been possible. Thanks also to the University of Washington School of Drama. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact Theater Simple at thsimple at gmail.com. And you can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple dot O-R-G. 
Our music is the work of Rob Whitmer and the amazing Chandra Cogburn. And you can find out more about her at ChandraCogburn.com. That's C-H-A-N-D-R-A-C-O-G-B-U-R-N.com. The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky, who also edited this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Have a seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.